1: In a time when companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook are piling up mountains of data about us, the one place left in our digital lives where true privacy can be found exists oddly enough on our smartphones, which are designed so that when you put that phone on lock, no one can get past its encryption, not even say Apple with its iPhone or Google with its Pixel, which is great, right? But not if you're in law enforcement, And you've got reason to believe that a bad guy's phone contains secrets that can solve crimes and stop terrorist attacks. Well, in that case, should Apple or should Google help the feds bust the encryption? Isn't doing anything you can to help in such cases every citizen's duty? Isn't it patriotic? Or is the sort of privacy that encryption represents something sacrosanct and not to mention something fragile? You put a back door into it, who knows? Who might come through it later? Well, this all sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement tech companies should be required to help law enforcement, execute search warrants to access customer data. That's our debate. We are in San Francisco at the SF Jazz Center in partnership with the National Constitution Center with four superbly qualified debaters who will argue for and against the motion. Our debate goes in three rounds, and then the audience here in San Francisco votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Let's first meet uh, the first debater arguing for the motion. Please welcome Stuart Baker. Stuart Baker. So, Stuart, um, you, you, uh, you've served in government in important positions. You were general counsel for the NSA. Uh, you served under President George W. Bush at the Department of Homeland Security. You have long argued that folks who oppose uh, government access to the kind of data we'll be talking about tonight underappreciate how access to that data can enhance our security. So where does that appreciation come from? What do, what do you know that they don't?
2: So it's not what I know. It's who I know. I've, I've seen the people who are uh, at the FBI, at NSA, at DHS who are trying to protect us. They need our help. And that's why I believe that Everyone owes them an, uh, a duty of providing assistance when they can.
1: And it's why you're on this side. Yes. Can you tell us, please, who your partner will be tonight?
2: My debating partner now for the second time in Intelligence Square, John Yu. Uh, he is a pleasure. I'd share a foxhole with him any day.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, John Yu. Uh, John, you're a professor of law at Berkeley, a visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Um, following the September 11th attacks, you worked on national security and terrorism issues at the Department of Justice, wrote some controversial memos, which will be in your uh, obituary. Um, <laughs> third time you've debated with us, but the last time we actually did it in Philadelphia, which is your hometown, and your mother was in the audience, and you told us then that there was no way you could lose with her sitting there. Well, she's not here tonight. So, what does that do to your what does that do to your game?
3: <laughs> well, uh, so this is the fourth time you keep inviting me. I keep losing. So you're the ones with the problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, the team are arguing for this motion. And now let's meet the team arguing against the motion. First, welcome Michael Chertoff. Michael, uh, you are the co-founder of the Chertoff Group. You were the second Secretary of Homeland Security under George W. Bush. Before that. You were a young prosecutor, uh, and you helped to put quite a few mob figures behind bars back in those days. of course, back in those days, there was really no digital data like we have it today. But honestly, would it have made your job easier?
4: You know, we did it the old-fashioned way. So we made our cases with witnesses, photographs, circumstantial evidence, and we were successful. In fact, I put a bunch of guys away for 100 years apiece.
1: And did you have to ride a horse back and forth to work? It wasn't that was? long, no, long ago. No. And please tell us who your partner uh, is.
4: Catherine Crump is my partner. She is a professor at Berkeley. I've not had the privilege of debating with her before, but I'm looking forward to it this time.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Crump. And uh, Catherine, as Michael said, you're a professor of law also at Berkeley and acting director of its Samuelson Law Technology and Public Policy Clinic. For nine years, you were a staff attorney for the ACLU. You have been sounding alarms for years about the staggering amount of data that law enforcement uh, can and does collect on people's actual movements by tracing their cell phones, by photographing license plates. Day to day, what steps do you take to make yourself less digitally visible, or is it not even possible anymore?
5: Well, you know, today it's pretty tough. Online, you have tools like Signal that can help you retain some measure of privacy in your data. Uh, But sometimes in physical space, it's hard to do much but smile for the cameras.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Catherine Crump and the team arguing against the motion. Okay, now we move on to round one. Round one will be opening statements by each debater in turn. And speaking first for the motion, tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data. Here is Stuart Baker, former general counsel for the National Security Agency. Ladies and gentlemen, Stuart Baker.
2: So let me start, and I'd, I'd like to start always when I do this, with the question, we'd love it if you concluded that uh, uh, the government can require companies to put back doors in their products or break their crypto, but that's not what the uh, proposition says. It says they should be required to help law enforcement, uh, and that's not really a surprise, because if you have a unique ability to help law enforcement uh, and law enforcement can't solve the problem on its own, you have an obligation to assist law enforcement. This has been true for hundreds of years, well before the United States was founded. There was a common law obligation to assist law enforcement upon request. We all understand this. Uh, if you're a landlord and your um, tenant is suspected of engaging in drug selling or some other crime, the the government is going to come, the police will come with a search warrant, and they will say, can you help us? We don't want to knock down the door. We'd like you to use your master key to get us in. This is a requirement for all of us. Uh, And it's not different for tech companies. There is no Silicon Valley exceptionalism uh, policy that applies. In fact, the Supreme Court has said exactly that Uh, uh, in a case against against the United States was asking for help from New York Telephone, now Verizon, saying we would like you to assist us in carrying out an intercept of communications data. And uh, what the company that's now Verizon said, no, we don't Feel like it. Uh, uh, Why don't you do it? And the government said, uh, You are in a unique position to assist us in a way that will not be obvious to the uh, criminal, and therefore you have an obligation to provide that assistance. There's no special exception for phone companies or tech companies. You need to provide that because it's part of your obligation as a citizen. I guess I shouldn't sit down without. Mentioning the elephant in the room, which, of course, is Apple against FBI. Uh, There is no one who's arguing here that the obligation to uh, help law enforcement is without boundary. If you can show that it's too burdensome, that it's going to cost too much, it's going to hurt your customers, if you can make a persuasive argument that uh, under current law, you don't have to provide the assistance. Uh, the, The one place where I think Apple... Made a statement, made an argument that is inconsistent with voting for this proposition is when they said, oh, we can help, we just don't want to. That is exactly uh, a defiance of the obligation that every other citizen has to provide assistance to the government. Uh, And there's no exception that says, just because you're the world's wealthiest company, you don't have to do this. Uh, And so if you agree with that proposition, then you ought to vote in support of this motion.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Stuart Baker. And that motion is tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data Our next debater who will argue against that motion is Catherine Crump, professor of law at UC Berkeley and former staff attorney for the ACLU. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Crump.
5: This debate is not about whether tech companies should hand over evidence that they're capable of accessing in response to a properly obtained warrant. Of course they should. This debate is about whether the government, by controlling the use of strong encryption or through other mandates, can obligate companies like Apple to design devices like iPhones less securely in order to facilitate the government's access to data. The answer to that question should be no. We rely on the Internet for virtually everything. Corporations store their most valuable proprietary information online. And the government also stores vast troves of data digitally, including law enforcement and national security information. As a result, the security of the Internet is critical. Yet the systems we rely on to store all of this data are radically insecure. Earlier this year, Pew reported that over half of Americans have personally experienced a major data breach. Having the content of your email account dumped online can be devastating. Just ask Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, who not only found that personally embarrassing, uh, but that well could have affected the course of a presidential election. Strong encryption is the, de- the best defense available against the growing threat of cyber attacks. When strong encryption is deployed, users hold the keys to their own data. That means that data is safe from prying eyes, including the eyes of tech companies, Some suggest that we ought to build a backdoor in order to allow law enforcement access to data. The problem with that is you cannot build a backdoor that works only for the U.S. government, good guys, or other people with good motives. If you build it for them, the encryption will be weakened for everyone. That's the lesson of the recent WannaCry ransomware scandal. Over 200,000 computers in 150 countries were taken hostage using an, a tool of vulnerability that the NSA lost control over. The closer you look at the issue of the feasibility of creating a backdoor, the more impractical such a solution becomes. Just think about this. What phones would it apply to? Uh, older phones, would they be grandfathered in? What about phones that are built overseas? When a German traveler comes to the United States and their phone is non-compliant? Will they have to surrender that phone at the border? To me, the issue is not about protecting us from the government. We have the rule of law, the Fourth Amendment, due process, and a culture of compliance to help us with that. The issue is protecting us from the bad guys. In this age of radical insecurity, we will all be better off if companies increase security for user data rather than weaken protections.
1: I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment.
0: Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.
1: And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Tech companies should be required to help Law enforcement executes search warrants to access customer data. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. John Yu, professor of law at UC Berkeley, arguing for the motion. Ladies and gentlemen, John Yu.
3: Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Uh, and it's great to be here with my uh, junior colleague, Catherine. Um, I should have required, when I voted for her hiring at Berkeley, that she agree never to debate me in public. Um, I forgot to leave that in her contract. However, I'm glad she's here, and now I'm going to get serious, because I think I heard her concede on the question presented. Right? The question presented is a very simple one. Should tech companies help law enforcement? And I think Catherine said, yes, of course they should. So nobody has to listen to anything we say after that point. She cleverly, and this is why she's so smart and we hired her at Berkeley, is she cleverly changed the question into a debate about encryption. I don't know anything about encryption. I don't care about encryption. I get about the Constitution. And the Constitution doesn't say anything about encryption. What the Constitution says is, and let me pull out my prop. I'm going to win this time. So I've got the Fourth Amendment, right? You should all get one of these. They're pocket constitutions. Actually, this is a little-known secret. If you write to the Supreme Court, they will send you a free one. I don't know. They, they all have different versions, though. I'm not sure which one you're going to get. So <laughs> the Fourth Amendment says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. And I hope everyone here tonight will at least agree that that's the standard. What's reasonable? According to the Supreme Court, in many cases, one of them is called Tennessee versus Garner, The court has said when you judge reasonableness, you balance the benefits of pursuing a particular action in terms of whether it advances a government interest versus the loss of privacy. It's not a categorical everything's off limits or categorically the government can do whatever it wants. It calls on us to make a balancing choice. And we have chosen repeatedly to ask the judges to do that for us. So what would be in the balance? In this case, the balance would be the reduction of the possibility of terrorist attacks. I think uh, uh, Stuart mentioned that it would be remiss not to mention Apple versus FBI. I also think it would be remiss not to mention that in the United Kingdom, the nation most similar to us probably in the world has just suffered two terrible terrorist attacks in the space of a week, terrible attacks in Nice, Paris, Brussels. And let's not forget the United States. Just in 2013, four years ago, Terrorists bombed the Boston Marathon, killed three people, injured 260 people. Just two years ago, in San Bernardino, 14 people were killed by a terrorist, 22 injured. The reason I mention these is not to raise a scare that there's terrorists all around, but it's just the government's interest is to try to reduce those attacks. And the only way to do it in this kind of world we're living in with terrorists that organize themselves as networks, where they share information and take advantage of global commerce is to get data and information on them in order to have any chance to try to stop the attacks from succeeding in the future. Thanks very much.:
1: Thank you, John You. And now making his statement against the motion, Michael Chertoff, former Secretary of Homeland Security. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Chertoff.)
4: I want to begin on a serious note. We obviously all deeply feel for the families that lost loved ones in London and in Manchester and all over the world. And we know it's very important to do the best we can to stop these kinds of things from happening. And I will tell you, and I I say this with the experience of having been on duty on September 11th, the kinds of capabilities that tech companies provide to the U.S. government is vastly greater than it's ever been. There is a a treasure trove of information, who is contacting whom, who is calling or sending messages to whom, locational data, video data, all of this is made available to the government, provided the government has a warrant or a subpoena or some appropriate legal process. The question is, should the tech companies be required to go beyond subpoenas and warrants and either turn things over based on a voluntary basis when there is not a basis to get a warrant or there is no subpoena? Or even more significantly, should tech companies be required to take steps to weaken encryption simply because uh, right now those tech companies don't have access to the information and therefore they can't comply with the requirement that it be turned over? And let me be clear exactly what I'm talking about there are now many different kinds of applications you can use that don't give the service provider the ability to access the data. Or in the case of some applications, the messages have disappeared, like under WhatsApp, and therefore there's nothing to turn over. What the government is arguing for is that the tech companies have to go further. They have to organize themselves so that they have the ability to decrypt with a duplicate key all the data that gets transferred so that they have the ability to store things that you think you have deleted, so they can turn that over if there's a request. And the fact of the matter is, under the Constitution and the traditions of this country, we do not require people to organize their lives so they store everything that they say and everything that they write so it can be available if somebody wants to come along later and investigate them. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about not just the values of the Constitution, but we're actually talking about our national security. Because if you open up the newspapers, what you see is you have foreign nations hacking into our political parties. You have criminals stealing our financial data. You have terrorists trying to get information about where Americans might be going and the way to protect that data is not to expect the government to do it, because they don't. It's to expect each individual to protect that information. And often that does require encryption. I would also say to you that even if there were a rule that said U.S. tech companies must have the capability to decrypt any message – that wouldn't stop the bad guys because they would go to other parts of the world or they would go onto the dark web and they would simply buy encryption that couldn't be opened. So what would happen is we would have reduced the protection for the law-abiding people and we would not really have deterred the people who are not law-abiding. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Michael Shcherkov. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now we move on to round two. And in round two, the Debaters take questions from me, they can address one another directly, and they also will take questions from you, our live audience here in San Francisco at the SF Jazz Center. We have two teams arguing for and against this motion. Tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data. The team arguing for the motion, Stuart Baker and John Yu, have been arguing that the law and the history is clear. There is an obligation to help law enforcement, especially if you have a unique ability to offer that hope, that you cannot say no in that case, but within reasonable bounds. They say uh, reasonableness is to be decided by the courts. They say that just like a landlord with a master key at the scene of a crime, they need to be able to turn the key. The team arguing against the motion, Catherine Crump and Michael Chertoff, uh, they're arguing that uh, strong encryption is the best defense against cyber attack. You can't build a back door that only works for the good guys. They're also arguing that uh, there's plenty of other ways for law enforcement to use data uh, that's already available to them through search warrants that are not resisted by the tech companies. So I want to go uh, first to the team arguing against the motion and, and go to you, Catherine Crump. Your, your opponent's basically saying that if a company has a unique ability to help, that there's an obligation, a citizen's obligation to do what needs to be done to turn that key in the lock. What's your response to that?
5: there's an obligation but it's not an unlimited obligation this came up in the Apple case uh, where you have to give reasonable assistance and the real question was at what point does it become an undue burden what law enforcement is asking a company to do and Apple maintained that being uh, required to uh, for example create a master key would be an undue burden relying in part on a lot of the security arguments we talked about earlier right their inability to protect uh, to protect the data if they have this key, which would then be the type of thing that would be targeted by others.
4: Can I refine this just slightly? Because the issue was not burdensomeness in the sense that it was going to be burdensome on the company. The argument they made was that to create a master key that essentially disables the element of the operating system that shuts it down after you try a few times to break it would compromise not just the single phone, but would compromise all the operating systems for all the phones. And that therefore, if someone got a hold of that, of that capability, it wouldn't just be the single phone that would be broken, it would be everybody's phone. And that was the burden they were worried Stuart about. Stuart
2: Baker. When I uh, was preparing for this, I actually talked to the Manhattan district attorney who told me the following story. He said, you know, we used to take Apple 4, uh, the iPhone 4, I to Apple... And they had every ability in the world to decrypt that. We brought them an order. We brought them the phone. They sent us back the contents of the phone. Uh, It was a very productive relationship. We broke a lot of cases. Uh, And then one day around the time that the FBI uh, versus Apple case was heating up, they called and said, take back your phones. We're out of the business of providing assistance uh, to law enforcement. And he said, what, you, you can't do it anymore? What's changed? And they said, basically, our minds have changed. We're not going to do it anymore.
3: Yes, we can. We still can. We choose not to. Uh, that's cold. John, you, do you want to come in? Yeah, thanks. I, I'll, I'll take up the question of encryption because I think there's also this uh, claim that encryption is somehow going to make all our data safe. People mentioned um, uh, John Podesta's email being hacked by maybe the Russians. Who knows? And how did they hack into it? Did they break the strong encryption on his email account? No, they sent him a standard phishing thing, and his password turned out to basically be password. It didn't make any difference whether encryption was high or low that they got into his email account. The other thing I would say about encryption is, yes, the government was asking Apple to help it identify some kind of way to get into the phone itself, Right? There are flaws in all the operating systems. Right, there are ways for people to hack in into Samsung and Android phones or Apple phones, and then they fix them. Right, they download these patches. I have to download one every other day, it seems like to me. And then you repair the you repair the flaw. So when uh, I think when Mike says uh, Apple's being asked to break its own product and break all the products simultaneously, I don't think that's quite accurate. What they're asking the government's asking Apple to do is try to help identify a way to get into this phone held by someone who carried out a terrorist attack in San Bernardino. And then, obviously, you can fix it after. It's not like you're going to publish the flaw and then say, everybody, come on in and take John Podesta's secret emails. And now, you know, his password is
4: password, too. First, let me point out, they ultimately hired a company that managed to circumvent the, the operating system feature. And they discovered there was nothing of particular relevance on the phone. And they also had gotten from Apple, in compliance with the order, all the stuff that was backed up in the cloud. The issue that was presented was, do you find a way to create essentially create a vulnerability or a workaround in that feature of the operating system? And as Stuart kind of impliedly points out, Cyrus Vance, who I've actually debated as well, had stacked up a few hundred requests to have phones broken with that system, too. So the reality is, once that vulnerability was created, it was going to be in constant demand for breaking things in the future. Now, you might say, well, that's okay, because they could keep the vulnerability hidden and protected, and so the bad guys wouldn't get it. And my Exhibit A against that is want to cry – where shadow brokers posted the vulnerability on Microsoft systems and they shut down the National Health Service. Even the U.S. government can't protect some of the, of the tools and exploits that they put together. Stuart Baker.
2: So what Mike is sliding over is that what the government asked Apple to do was to use a hole, a backdoor, that Apple had already built into its phones. How many people here got a U2 album you didn't want on your phone? (laughs) Yeah. uh, That was Apple using its backdoor into your phone, their ability to update your phone anytime they want to run any code they want on your phone. Now, that's a big security hole we've heard everybody on the other side of the debate say oh that's a that's a fatal security hole and yet apple has built it into your phone they did on balancing they said well on balance we have to give you security updates the only way we can do that is if we have this backdoor into your phone and it's the ability to update the phone that the fbi had asked apple to use
1: let me i want to take a question to catherine crump uh, uh, citing something that your opponent john use said he he was talking about there being a balance between privacy on the one hand versus the need to uh, to uh, pursue and guarantee national security and that we're in a time where the balance we have to recognize that the balance is shifting that the threats of national security particularly by uh, terrorist groups that are exploiting uh, this technology encrypted or not uh, is is on the rise and obviously dangerous and that therefore we need to do a reconfiguration of the privacy issue what's your take on that
5: Well, I think to view this as a privacy versus security debate is to misunderstand this particular debate. It's a more security versus less security debate. And by using strong encryption, you both secure the privacy of the data. And for all of the reasons Michael Chertoff set off, uh, you also uh, improve security across the board for vulnerable data of corporations, governments, and individuals themselves.
1: John, you want
3: to respond? I would say, again, the touchstone is reasonableness. I don't see where the Constitution says it's up to Apple to decide what's reasonable. It's up to us, the American people, through our government, to decide what that reasonable balance is between privacy and gathering the information to try to increase the security of our country.
1: But your your opponent, Catherine Crump, is saying it's the privacy security issue is not the real issue. She's saying that security versus more security. And her argument is actually... For even greater security, which I think her implication is it would make it even more difficult for the government to get that's, access.
3: That's possible. Let me, let me first say it's, it's possible that a consequence of more encryption might actually be better security for our country. I just don't see why Apple gets to decide that for the United
4: States. Well, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't disagree with it's The government ultimately can pass a law. The, that's the debate. The question about the resolution is should the government pass a law that basically mandates to tech companies or anybody else, you cannot – configure your products in such a way that will not allow you to comply with a court order to turn over information. And if the decision is that you can't configure your products, you're going to wind up, and this is, I think, an unwise decision, you're going to wind up hurting the security of everybody else that's innocent. That's not the subject of a subpoena. You know, it would be as if the government were to pass a law and say, you should not be able to delete any emails ever. That you generate or you shouldn't be able to turn your phone off. You should keep it on to record everything you say all the time. That would make it very easy for law enforcement when they targeted you to find all the evidence against you, but would also mean that everybody else would be walking around being their own big brother.
1: I want to remind you that we are in the question-and-answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your host. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. Tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data. Down near the front, please. Isn't uh, the core issue of the Fourth Amendment the protection of the expectation of confidentiality and the right of privacy? Isn't that the core? I think that's a challenge to John Yu's side, so I'd like to take it to
3: John Yu. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to hide behind the Supreme Court on this one. They don't say that the Fourth Amendment itself puts that value above all others. It says you balance it. You're quite right. The privacy interest, which we actually didn't talk about that much about the law, so thanks for bringing it up, is the privacy interest, the reasonable expectation of society in privacy, and it could be phone calls, written letters, whatever. It's hard to actually figure out how do we f- measure what society's reasonable expectation of privacy is. And that's why when we've had these technological changes in the past with the telegraph, telephones, money transfers, ultimately we've asked Congress to step in and pass a law and make a judgment. For the fir- in the beginning, the courts have done it, eventually Congress. And in no case did our elected representatives or any of the judges say privacy trumps all other values. It's what's reasonable to us as a society to balance the two.
5: Yeah, well, I think Catherine. we agree about what the applicable standard is, right? It's a balance between uh, between an individual's expectation of privacy and then uh, the public safety needs on the other side. I think we just disagree about how that comes out in this particular case.
1: I'm John Donvan. More questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S.
3: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile
1: And this one is really personal for me. If you are even listening to this podcast, it tells me that you get it. You get what it means to hear all sides in an argument. And you get that there's something to be said for being convincible, which is a talent in itself, by the way. So where am I going with this? Well, did you know that we are a nonprofit, one with a mission, one that you get, to improve the public discourse? We're actually a philanthropy because what we produce, we give away for free, like this podcast you're listening to. And like the videos of the 140 or so debates we've done that we know are getting used in high schools and colleges, we have a super staff making it happen, but it's a small staff. We also have donors who are helping us to continue to grow. So that's my ask right now. Please help us to continue to grow. Make a contribution. It'll be tax deductible, of course, which you can do by phone. Just text the word DEBATE to 797979. And you'll get a link to make a donation right from your phone. Or you can go to our website and join our Friends of IQ2US program. If you do that, you then get invitations to our special events, uh, including post-debate receptions where you get to hang with the debaters and with me and other members of our community. I am really proud to be part of this cause. I know you'll be too. Once again, text DEBATE to 797979. Thanks. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your host. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. Tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data. Going back to audience questions, Uh, down near the front row here.
0: You you mentioned that uh, in today's, the way technology is written today, the user has the key. But in times of artificial intelligence, um, there is no way that the tech company or any company is giving away, uh, away the key because it's constantly updating itself and constantly learning from the content that is being encrypted. To illustrate that, Gmail now allows you to auto-reply, uh, but that's based on your content. Can you say that tech companies will uh, do not have the key? today? So, okay, uh, thanks. Um, Michael Chernow. Yeah, sure. No, so, thanks,
4: some... Sir. some uh, companies do keep a key or some enterprises do keep a duplicate key because they want their employees, for example, they want to be able to see what their employees are doing. No one is arguing on our side that tech companies should disobey court orders. If you have the capability, if you have a key, a duplicate key, and a court orders you to turn it over, game over, you turn it over. Some companies don't maintain the duplicate key. And in that instance, they can't comply. And what the resolution would – if Congress were to adopt the principle in the resolution, Congress would say, when you design encryption, you must always have a duplicate key – or backdoor?
1: Stuart Baker to respond.
4: So I, I, you made a good point that uh, for some companies,
2: having that data is so important that they discourage uh, uh, encryption. Uh, uh, their business model is such they want the data. They don't really want you to encrypt it. Uh, I think at the end of the day, though, the question is, is anybody here comfortable saying, we're going to trust our privacy and our security to the marketing and the Uh, technological uh, profit-driven decisions of the tech companies. Does anybody think they have our interests at heart?
5: So I think your comments, though, raise an interesting point, which is what are the market incentives of tech companies? And for a lot of purposes, tech companies are not going to want to have data encrypted. So for example, your Gmail account isn't encrypted because you're going to want certain functionalities and certain companies are going to want to be able to access the data in order to sell you advertisements, for example. So I think you need to think about the scope of the encryption problem as being limited because there are a lot of market incentives on the other side that are going to limit the use of this tool. I think
3: this raises actually an interesting point, goes back to the first question, too, about encryption. I find it actually strange as a society. We're more than happy to surrender lots of privacy to companies to mine our emails and then to pop up weird ads about things that they think I want to buy places I've been. I think that when we send, you know, we actually decide what's reasonable. As a society, I find it very likely we're going to say the government should at least have the same right to – mine that data, look, as we're giving all these companies already.
1: Ma'am, in the red sweater, if you could stand up.
3: Hi, my name is Kate Conger. Um, my question is about the life and death issue that you raised earlier. You were talking about how law enforcement needs access to encrypted messages to save lives. And I'm wondering how you balance those lives with the lives of our servicemen and women overseas whose locations are protected by encryption, how you balance those lives against the lives of victims of intimate partner violence who might be hiding their information, their location from their spouse via encryption. Why are the lives of terror victims worth more than the lives of servicemen and women of women who are being killed by their partners?
1: And your question is directed to
3: uh, Stuart, would
2: you like to say yes.
1: okay, that? Okay, Stuart, sure. yeah. Oh, first-name basis, yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> I, so no one is arguing that uh, what we want is completely insecure phones that give away uh, uh, data that could get people killed. Uh, as I've said, Apple has built the technology that allows them to modify phones one at a time, if necessary, uh, and they have protected that successfully. Uh, and that means that the data that they've protected has not been given away to uh, lead to deaths of, uh, of innocents, uh, uh, but they could use that technology to protect innocents, and they're not doing it. Uh, and in my view, they should.
1: Others I'd like to respond?
4: You know, we could go around around arguing the particular facts of the case. I think what what they wanted Apple to do would be a modification that would ultimately, if it got out, affected all phones. I mean, I just want to
1: say that that's certainly the way uh, Apple presented the
5: case.
4: Let let, let Michael finish. finish. But but we're not on trial. We don't have evidence here. So let's take the broader proposition. If Apple didn't add YouTube music to your phone, I think your comment is dead right exactly right. There is real security value to encryption. And if you if you required companies that have encryption without U2 updates to have a backdoor, you would weaken that encryption. That's what all the engineers say. And that means if somebody, if a bad guy either discovered the vulnerability or got a hold of the exploit, they would then have the ability to compromise the safety of the people you are describing. And if you say to me, well, that's okay. The government can protect it, I just have one word, want to cry.
1: Man in the light blue shirt, because I saw you shaking your head during Stewart's comment, but, but I don't want you to argue with Stuart. I want you to ask a question. If you could stand up and tell us your name, please. Walter Mustoe. Thanks. Uh,
3: the general consensus in uh, computer security circles is that there's always another flaw. And in fact, uh, uh, the Apple and FBI thing was, uh, their fight was mooted when um, the FBI found another way into the phone without okay. Apple's help. So because there are more flaws out there, doesn't that put the burden back on law enforcement uh, rather than, than uh, asking tech companies to help? John you, uh, I'm not um, sure exactly what the, how to answer the question, but what I, what I, I think there's a false choice here that's being presented by our uh, worthy and uh, handsome and attractive opponents. And that's there's a choice between letting the government have access and complete vulnerability. I, I don't think that's true. I think it's very much as you described. There are these programs and operating systems, and then there are flaws, and then we correct them. And sometimes we can use the flaws to the society's advantage, and then we correct them. I, you know, some people often use this um, analogy of locks on doors. All we're asking about is to say to the locksmith, "Come to this house." Please open this lock. We're not asking you to take all the locks off all the doors. Catherine Crumb?
5: Yeah, I think your, I think your point is a good one. Encryption, uh, while maybe the best tool we have available, often isn't perfect. The Apple case uh, illustrated that. They were able to get in using a vulnerability that they purchased. There will continue to be vulnerabilities, um, and in particularly in high-profile, high-value investigations, um, they may continue to be used.
1: Another question? Right down front, sir. A mic's going to come for you in just one second. Now, you realize
3: you just called on the former chief justice of the state of California. So whatever he says, I'm going to agree with it. (laughs) Uh, I just wonder whether in weighing privacy interests against security interests, if Congress, in considering a law requiring that such help be provided, were to be presented with credible evidence that there were plans to uh, import a nuclear device into the United States, whether I would change the position that the no-side has or whether you would still adhere to the
1: same position. Michael Jadhoff.
4: Well, you know, I think the position we have, again, is, is that the um, companies have to comply with the law and the rules. The issue is when a company's um, capabilities are configured in such a way that they just don't have access to the information, that's going to frustrate law enforcement. But the the real challenge presented here and the argument that people in Congress, some of them, have made is you should prevent tech companies from organizing themselves in such a way that they don't have access to all the information when they're required to turn it over. So let's pick something a little less esoteric than encryption. There are applications now, messaging applications, which once you've read the message, it disappears. Should the government be able to say, wait a second? Terrorists could be communicating when that shipment of nuclear material is coming in and the message is going to disappear. We're never going to know what was said. So let's make every company require that all those messages, although they appear to disappear, they actually get stored. And that would apply to everybody because you don't you, – Congress doesn't pass a law knowing who a particular terrorist is. The law is generally applicable.
1: Others, I'd like to answer that? Hey, uh, Stuart very, Baker.
2: very briefly. I think that example shows that there are times when we simply will not leave the decision to the companies. Uh, uh, And if you believe that, if you thought there was a phone that had data about the importation of a nuclear device into the United States, no one would be saying, oh, well, it's Apple's choice about uh, whether they're going to use their uh, back door to provide access. Uh, We would say this is a choice that ought to be made by society as a whole through our elected representatives. Uh, uh, And uh, if you believe that, then I think the answer to the question is is Yes, there are times when companies should be required to help law enforcement.
3: Give me a small amendment. Uh, also, we sure would go. hope American companies would willingly try to help in such a situation. You shouldn't need the compulsion of the law. What worries us, I think, is this growing atmosphere that's okay for tech companies to say, no, we're not going to help the government, even in a scale of a threat as high as the one you're proposing
1: and that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared US debate, where our motion is tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data. And now we move on to round three. Round three are closing statements by each debater in turn. Here, making his closing statement in support of the motion, Stuart Baker, former Assistant Secretary for Policy at the Department of Homeland Security.
2: I was thinking about uh, uh, this issue and researching it, and I came across a, a case of a woman named Brittany Mills who was uh, who answered her door one day and was shot dead at point blank range. Uh, the police know she knew the person she opened the door for. They know nothing else. They do know she had an iPhone that she kept a diary on it. Uh, Apple is not prepared to provide any assistance in finding out what's on that phone. That that can't be right. Tim Cook has given many speeches about how companies have values because people have values and Apple has values. I think the the message I would want to send to them out of this debate is they need to have a concern for the Brittany Mills of the world as well. Uh, And so I would ask that you vote to say yes, Companies can be required to help law enforcement to execute search warrants. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Stuart Baker. And here making her closing statement against the motion, Catherine Crump, acting director of Samuelson Law Technology and Public Policy Clinic at Berkeley Law.
5: We all want to help the uh, uh, Brittany Millses of the world. But the question here is where is the greater good? Are we going to make everyone's communications insecure, Uh, in order to create a backdoor. And I'll just tell one story, which is that 20 years ago, the United States, in a law called uh, decided, and most other countries decided uh, to create a requirement that there would be backdoor for telephone switches. Uh, About 10 years ago, someone illegally wiretapped the phones of many people in Greece using one of these backdoors. It included the prime minister, it included the mayor of Athens, and so on and so forth. So when you create these backdoors, they are vulnerable, they can be abused, um, and the better choice is to try to secure everyone's data across the board.
1: Captain Crump. And now making his closing statement in support of the motion, John Yu, law professor at UC Berkeley.
3: So uh, unlike my other panelists, uh, I don't have a good story. I actually always ask myself, what would Hamilton do? And the reason I ask is because Hamilton is so cool and hip right now, they even make rap music about him. I've been studying Hamilton for 25 years, and I love the guy. And I think what Hamilton said is something we should come back to, because Hamilton was involved with drafting the Constitution. He was the first Treasury Secretary. You all know this, because all of you have seen the play. Hamilton said the primary mission, the purpose of government, is the protection of the community from attacks. He didn't say it trumped everything it doesn't mean that we have to live in a world with no protections or no security or no privacy from for our data but we all have to balance the needs of the government against our privacy rights and as a society we can sometimes and should decide that we want to trade off some amount of privacy for security anyone who's telling you that that's a false choice i think is not being truthful there's always a trade off in anything we do any government policy That we reach. And I think in this case, all we want to acknowledge in asking you to vote yes for the resolution is that we're asking you to acknowledge that the government at some times has a right to protect us that should sometimes, in the right circumstances, uh, uh, require us to give up a small amount of privacy.
1: Thank you, John Yu. And finally, making his closing statement against the motion, Michael Chertoff, executive chairman and co founder of the Chertoff Group.
4: Well, thanks, everybody. Very stimulating debate and and great questions. Um, Look, uh, I know Stuart likes to talk a lot about the Apple phone case, and we're not going to resolve the engineering question about whether what would have been required here would have been to create a general vulnerability. But that's not what the resolution is about. There's no doubt Congress can pass a law. That's not the issue. The question is, would that be wise? And if you apply it in this circumstance – what you see the resolution says is you should have to configure your platforms in such a way that you can always access information when there is a lawful demand to do so. The problem with that is it doesn't create security for everybody. It creates security in some circumstances. If you look at what goes on around our world, if you look at the Uh, $80 million stolen from the Bank of Bangladesh, if you look at the efforts to influence elections in France, if you look at the personal data that is stolen and the 500 million Yahoo accounts that were hacked by the Russians who got indicted, that's 500 million uh, individuals whose personal information is out there. You realize that if you weaken encryption or you limit the ability to protect the data, you are putting the security of the many at risk simply because the government would be benefited in, in some cases to get access to the data. Sometimes the government will have to do it the hard way, but in the greater good of security for everybody, that may be the right way. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Michael Chernoff, and that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. The goal of Intelligence Squared U.S. uh, is to raise the level of public discourse. And I just want to say that the spirit in which these four debaters did that, the game they brought to the stage, absolutely lived up to our principles. And I want to thank all of you for what you did. So, reminding you, the motion is this. Tech companies should be required to help law enforcement execute search warrants to access customer data. Before the debate and polling the live audience here in San Francisco, 26 percent agreed with this motion. 47% were against the motion. 27% were undecided. Those are the first results. One more time I'll say this. It's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winner. So let's look at the second vote. The team arguing for the motion. Their first vote was 26%. Their second vote, 36%. They went up 10 percentage points. That's the number to beat. Let's see the team against, arguing against the motion. Their first vote was 47%. Their second vote was 58%. They got... 11 percentage points, they just slipped in. Congratulations to the team arguing against the motion. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donovan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented in partnership with the National Constitution Center, was held in front of a live audience at SF Jazz Center in San Francisco. Robert Rosenkrantz is chairman. Clay F. Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Matthau is vice president of programming. Chris Kamakawa is director of editorial operations. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit IQ2US.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosenkranz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Selendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rine, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmael, From Intelligence Squared U.S., Thank you to all of you.